It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you're dead. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. We'll punch you in the nose for 60 minutes with a relentless competitive attitude. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com as well as the mobile app. You can also hear us on various podcast platforms. Thanks so much for tuning in. He is Paul Dottino. I'm Lance Meadow with you for the next 60 minutes. Multiple ways you can interact with us, including giving us a ring at 973-667-1960. As a reminder, you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network brought to you by Investors Bank on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. So the 2000 2021 NFL draft is over, but that doesn't mean there is not more work to be done as we are going to go further into detail in all the Giants prospects. And today, we're going to focus on Ellerson Smith, the pass rusher out of Northern Iowa, who was selected with their fourth round pick. And to get more into that right off the top of the show, we are joined by a very special guest. He played 11 seasons in the NFL with four different teams. He led the NFL in sacks with 17 and a half and was named Defensive Player of the Year in 1995 with the Buffalo Bills. He's coached Ellerson Smith since 2018 as the Northern Iowa defensive line coach, none other than former NFL linebacker, four-time Pro Bowler Bryce Pop. Coach, you got Lance Meadow, Paul Dottino here on Giants.com, Big Blue Kickoff Live. Greatly appreciate the time today. Hope you and yours are safe and healthy. How's everything on your end? Oh, very good. Uh, thanks for having me on. Well, it's a pleasure having you on the program, Coach. And I want to start with the transformation of Ellerson Smith, which is quite impressive, Coach, because in terms of the timeline, you come in right before the start of the 2018 season. He was a 190-pound tight end slash defensive end. He works his way up towards a 250-plus-pound frame. What's impressed you the most in terms of how he's been able to transform his body and develop into a pass rusher? Well, um, just the persistence. Um, he, uh, <clears throat> we actually got him in, um, I don't know, 17, I think. And he, uh, there were some issues where, um, somebody missed, uh, when we were looking at his transcripts, uh, uh, his one of, uh, class, one of the classes he was supposed to take. And, um, so he had to actually uh, redshirt and not even be a part of the football team. He came in at, like you said, 190 pounds, um, soaking wet, uh, just a bean pole, um, and he was wasn't even with the football team. You know, he had to get his uh, eligibility standards up. Um, you know, just take a class. If if we would have seen it uh, and got him in a class in high school, he would have been fine, uh, but uh, sometimes it slips through the cracks, and, and he persevered through that and kind of bounced around a little bit, tried him at tight end, and then when I came in in the fall of uh, 18, um, they threw him at defensive end, and <laughs> the first time I had him run a stunt where the uh, defensive end loops back in underneath the defensive tackle, he stopped. It was just like a, uh, a calf seeing a new fence or, you know, a deer in the headlights. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is going to take uh, a while, you know. But he just didn't know what he didn't know. Um, very raw. Um, 
in high school, they just let him go, um, come off the edge, um, you know, and he just beat most people with speed. Uh, he was so long and quick that um, a lot of high school kids couldn't even stay with him. So the, the transformation has been pretty spectacular to watch and to be a part of because, for me, the reason I coach is to help these young men become uh, 25 years more uh, emotionally uh, mature than I was at that age because there was a lot of reasons why I was a great football player and a lot of them had to do with um, my uh, insecurity and the chip on my shoulder because of things that happened to me in in the past and work through all that stuff and I want to help these kids uh, get uh, a whole a whole lot quicker and uh, you know it's been fun to watch the transformation not just on the field but uh, emotionally and as a human being. One of the things I saw Bryce when I did research on Ellerson is that you really got into him in terms of adding strength as he jumps into the NFL. And you also, during your time with him, apparently had a tremendous impact on his willingness and eagerness to do film work. Could you expand yeah. on that a little bit? Sure, sure, yeah. Uh, we have a great strength conditioning coach here, Jed Smith. He's done a great job. Uh, I can't really take uh, credit for that part of it, but um, we, we set the standards of where we want him to be. Uh, meet with him all the time, and he did a great job of working um, to get himself to this point, and um, he's very motivated. But uh, as far as the film study, yeah, um, yeah. so it was, uh, I don't know, maybe the second or third game of the season, and he was slated to start because uh, somebody got hurt and wasn't going to be able to start. And in Thursday, it's kind of like a script day where we script out plays and, and the team Hampton we were going to play had, um, uh, what they did is they uh, pinned the defensive end and sprinted out to the field and they had uh, trips formation where they had uh, three receivers to the quarterback's right hand to the field mm-hmm. and then actually would have the running back. So actually it was really four strong to the field to the quarterback's right hand. And to me, I, I always tell the defensive ends, when that happens, the slot machine just hit three cherries and it's dinging. It's coming. <laughs> so, you know, that sprint out is coming. You're going to get pinned. So don't take the okey-doke and go underneath the tight end or the running back. Well, so we had about three of those scripted in in uh, one team in Thursday's practice, and wouldn't you know, every time he went underneath either the tight end or the running back and got pinned. And I finally I just had enough. I was like, I yanked him out, and I said, what the heck is going on? You haven't watched any film at all, have you? And he dropped his eyes, no. So, you know, one of the biggest mistakes that young players have is they try to get by with just athleticism. But, you know, even in the NFL, there's about 5% that can get away with that. But eventually it catches up with them. And if they they don't use um, every aspect to get better, they're going to get passed up in a hurry. That's why you see, um, you know, I've coached Pop Warner all the way uh, to college now. And um, you see it all the time where a kid will mature and he won't work at it because he's been gifted or talented. You know, I, I read the book, um, uh, Mindsets by Carol Dweck, and that really 
um, gives you an insight into why a lot of these really talented, gifted people never make it. Because um, I saw it in my career. There's more talent walking the streets than in, is in the NFL. And, and Because it's not just based off talent. You have to be able to put it all together mentally, emotionally, socially, uh, physically, and, and be able to be a whole package. And a lot of players can't do all that. And so, you know, um, he uh, he was very immature. He thought he could just make it because he was so gifted. Um, and so uh, I, I talked to the head coach and I said, you know what, he is not ready. I don't trust him. Because it's not whether I like you if you're going to play or not. It's whether I trust you. Because you know what, there's more people um, that are counting on me doing my job, putting someone out there that's going to be 85 to 90% correct um, every down so that they can put their head on the pillow at night and say, you know what, um, I'm trusting that the other coaches are going to put a good product out there and we're going to win a majority of the time. And basically I told them, hey, I can't do that right now. You're, you know, um, you haven't studied, you haven't put the time in, I don't trust you. And so he got about three snaps that game and he was kind of pissed, but, you know, you know, kids – have a short memory sometimes and if it didn't really hurt them that much uh if it didn't cost them that much you know they they move on and and so that's what happened and then we were going to play ndsu maybe three weeks later um and again the same exact thing happened um he came out to practice on thursday and halfway through a team period i stopped him and i said you haven't watched any film this week have you and he dropped his eyes again. Well, he got about two snaps that game. And he came in on Sunday, and he was pissed. And I knew that that uh, he was pissed because his mom came to the game, and his mom uh, wouldn't even approach my wife after the game. She was just human. And, you know, she didn't say anything. She just waved and kind of turned and walked off. And so I knew that we had struck a nerve because – you know, people don't change until it hurts, until it costs them something. And so um, we we had the film study, and he's sitting there, and he's just pissed, you know, he, um, you know, not looking at me. And I asked everybody in the room how they think the game went and, and what, what could they work on and all that. And I got to Ellerson, and, I mean, the steam was coming. And he was pissed. Why didn't I get a play? So I went into it and I said, you know what? You're never going to play the amount you're supposed to play until you figure out that, you know what? It's not about athleticism. It's not about what you can do um, physically. It's are you prepared? Do you know what's going to happen? Um, have you studied film? I said, until you get to that point, you're never going to, I'm never going to play you like you should be played. And he finally got it. And from that point on, he started coming up, and I started uh, coaching him individually. And the transformation was pretty astounding, you know, what he did. And then, you know, there was a lot of people questioning why he came out because they look at some of his film and they see he struggled at the beginning of the 19th season. Well, we asked him to do something that if you're not uh, – <laughs> 
familiar with football and especially D-line play, um, when you go from a left end to a right end and you've always been a right-handed stance, never been a left-handed stance, and we ask you to go to a left-handed stance, it takes a long time to get mm-hmm. that figured out and to be effective. And and that's what happened in 19. And it kind of came to a head when we played NDSU because he got his butt handed to him to a certain degree because he um, didn't have the stance down. He would hop off the ball and he would um, – he would basically brace, and those guys are really good at, at uh, torquing people. And they torqued him down, and they threw him around like a rag doll. And, and after that point, he really started to work on the left-handed stance. By the end of that season, he was really darn good with that left hand in a left-handed stance. So, you know, I wish he would have come back and played in the 20 season uh, because there was still more work to be done. Um, but, you know, he is... He has busted his butt and taken care of himself. He's put on the weight and uh, still has freakish numbers. Um, he's got a lot more upside to come. Um, I'm really interested to see, you know, the progression from here on out. Lance, if I can just follow up with Bryce for a second here. Again, Bryce Pop, a former NFL four-time Pro Bowler, joining us. Uh, he was the defensive line coach for Ellerson Smith, the Giants' fourth-round draft pick at Northern Iowa. Bryce, uh, talk to me about that opt-out season because, you know, he turns into potentially being a transfer, thinking he does want to play another year of football before joining the NFL, and then decides, no, I think I'm just going to prepare for the draft. How difficult a decision do you think that was for him? How much influence did you have? And once he made the decision, were you kind of able to guide him in terms of what he was going to need to do to get to the next step? Uh, yeah, you know, that's, uh, that's a really tough uh, decision to make because, you know, the problem that these kids are having is there's too many voices. All you see is the overnight success. There is no such thing, but you never hear or see all the grind. You know, I always tell the kids, you know what, if, if you don't do the work when no one is watching, they're not going to come watch you and cheer for you in the stands on Saturday night because you're not going to be on the field. And so a lot of people, you know, miss all of the hard work um, that people have to put in to become an so-called overnight success and and he started getting you know a lot of people telling him he's got to you know opt out he's got to do this he's got to do that and you know sometimes it's hard when you have that many people chirping in your ear to kind of figure out who is really on your side and who is for you and who wants to who wants to take advantage of a naive you know human being and uh, you know, a lot of egos get into that, and um, you know, it, it was tough at first, but uh, we finally got back, um, you know, a hold of him a little bit, and you know, there was a few teams that uh, possibly wanted him to transfer, and once he made up his mind um, to transfer, then you know, um, we tried to narrow it down to a few different, and it just for whatever reason didn't work. Um, and then, so, um, he decided to, uh, he got an agent at that point and, and started working and, you know, I had, I'd kind of laid out a plan that, uh, I wanted him to work on for the, the final season if he was here and, uh, you know, basically told him he's got to be able to defeat someone in a phone booth because he was, 
using his speed too much and trying to use those long arms to run around. Well, offensive tackles knew that all they had to do was just push him a little bit um, and basketball him around the corner uh, because he was willing to let that happen where if, if he would have come back, we would have worked on defeating the guy in a tight spot, staying on his line and, and defeating his opponent. And then because he would shorten the corner and he'd be able to use that speed and make uh, several more plays. And um, so had him start working on, you know, that to a certain degree and making sure that, you know, that uh, he, he works on his stance and coming out of his stance uh, so that he can roll his hips and get up underneath people. Because when he, when he comes out of his stance, gets his hands on people and rolls his hips, he's really effective. Um, but, you know, a, a guy that tall, if, if you stop your feet and get a little too high, you're going for a ride. And so, you know, those are the things that uh, he worked on. Bryce, in terms of what you just described, I want to expand a little bit on that because you watch him on film, you see the length, you see the speed. I'm just curious, in terms of his projection at the NFL level, I believe you had odd and even defensive fronts within the scheme that you ran. How do you envision him? Is he a defensive end in your mind on the NFL level? Can he be an outside linebacker playing a little bit off? What is your vision of him as a player, at least in the initial stages? Well, I think um, if... if if the Giants or whoever, um, you know, whoever the coaching staff is there, if they, if they want to make him an outside backer, he's got the athleticism and he's got the ability to study and he's got the ability to do that. Uh, but he's also got the ability to put his hand on the ground and rush the passer. Um, you know, he's kind of um, uh, freakish athletically. Um, they, you know, people just need to decide what they're going to do with him, and he'll master it depending on what that is. But I think he could do either or both depending on, you know, what kind of uh, scheme they're going to play. Spencer Brown, your offensive tackle, who wound up going in the third round to the Buffalo Bills, by the way, a place where you had some great success. Uh, I had read a quote from him that when he would go up against Ellison Smith during practice, uh, by the time things were over, Smith's jersey was all tattered and torn because Brown felt he kind of constantly clutch and grab and hold him to stop him. I wonder how much did it help Smith to have an NFL-quality prospect like Brown to work against on a daily basis? Oh, that makes a huge difference. It makes them both better. Um, you know, like Will Wolford uh, with the Bills, uh, he had to go up against Bruce Smith all the time. That made him a lot better, a lot faster. Um, you know, with with the competition, it forces you to really hone in on your skills and really uh, make it better um, quicker. Uh, because a lot of a lot of players, what they don't understand is. It's not the person that I beat in practice. They're not the judge of how good I can be. It's not the person in the game that I beat to say, hey, I've arrived. That's not it at all. You know, I tell my guys all the time, hey, only you and God know how good you can be. Let's find out by never being satisfied. You can be happy with it, but don't be satisfied. Keep working. And that's the way I coach those kids all the time. And, you know, that's the mindset he's got. And, um, you know, uh, there was times when Spencer would get the best of Ellerson and vice versa, but they just kind of fed off of it. And, you know, they were smart about it. They wouldn't, uh, 
you know, um, hurt each other or take it too far, but, you know, it was great competition. You could tell, you know, when they're going against each other, hey, this is going to be, this is going to be a pretty good battle. We'll see who wins. Bryce, speaking of the level of competition, you referenced a pair of games from 2018 and then had mentioned that there were some ups and downs in the early stages in his play in 2019. When the Giants front office spoke to the media following the selection, they said they watched very carefully that Iowa State game, which was the opener in 2019, that triple overtime thriller. And they said every time they reviewed that game, the fact that he played X amount the snaps, his hustle, it jumped off to them on the film. I'm curious what at all you may remember from that game and what that may say about anybody who questions the level of competition he went up against throughout the course of his college career. Uh, yeah, he, he actually played really well, and um, he did play some at right end. Um, he jumped around, um, you know, uh, the, the block a couple times, but he was able, he's such a freak athlete, he was able to make the play. So uh, I don't think, you know, and then when he went down to the Senior Bowl, he went up against uh, even guards and beat them. So I don't think, you know, that's not, that's not going to be an issue. Um, uh, he is good enough, and he's got the mindset that uh, he belongs. So I don't think that that's going to be an issue. Well, speaking of belonging, Bryce, one more for me. It's obvious that he's got the athleticism, and it really sounds like you believe he has quite a large upside. But as a rookie, my goodness, that jump, you know, you, you, you came from that school and wound up you know, being a star in the NFL, but it did not happen with your very first snap in the pros. So as a rookie, what are the realistic expectations for what he needs to accomplish to uh, mature and to acclimate himself to the pro game before perhaps he becomes more of a regular rotational player? Yeah, well, uh, to me, um, the rookie year, um, the freshman year, it's always hard because there's so many new uh, things to adjust to. You know, there's a new city, uh, new living, uh, new expectations from the fans, new expectations from the coaching staff. There's a new defense. Uh, a lot of times it is like talking a foreign language. Uh, yeah, the techniques are the same, but he has to be able to relate it to what he did here. Um, now, what we did here, we played three different defenses at times. So he's got a ton of experience. He's got to be able to relate that to um, what they're asking him to do. Um, you know, and whether, uh, I, I don't know, like I said, I haven't looked up, I haven't paid attention to who's coaching what, and, you know, um, some of the technique, uh, how much time, because every Every program is different how much individual time they have to work on fundamentals because fundamentals are really the basis of um, whether you're going to dominate your opponent um, or whether you're going to be good or not good. Um, it, a lot of times it has little to do with the, with the ability you have because everybody that gets a chance to play in the NFL, for the most part, um, has the ability to be there. Um, now, w mentally, can he take it to the level he's ne he needs to? Uh, I would say yes, um, but it'll just depend on uh, the clarity of what they're asking him to do and, and the reps he gets and, 
you know, just those things, how he handles um, change. You know, there's change in everybody's life all the time, and and um, how people handle the change is the most important part, whether they freak out or if they can just roll with it. Um, because you learn a whole lot more through failure than you do success. Mm-hmm. So, you know, whether a player has failure, you know, is failing, um, they're going to learn it quicker because they're going to find out, hey, that's not the way I do it, you know, or that's not the way it's done, and they figure it out in a hurry. Um, so it, I guess it, it all depends on, um, to a certain degree, patience, how much different everything is and how, how they can handle it. Because, um, you know, um, when I came through, I had to worry – uh, about the numbers. It's not like he has to worry about numbers. Uh, they're they're going to give him a shot. Um, whether he gets in with the right people to help him study, um, you know, a lot of it has to do with the people he hangs around with. Um, whether they work hard, you know, Sermon Thomas was one of the best at getting rid of competition because he didn't have to work at it. He was one of those 5% that had um, just freakish athletic ability. He didn't have to work at it. And rookies and people that were coming in all the time uh, started to think, well, I'm Thurman Thomas's buddy, so I can do what he does. Well, you're not Thurman Thomas, and you're looked at in a totally different light. He can get away with not practicing and going out and, and having fun and not working at it because he's such a freak. And people get cut all the time because they thought they were in with Thurman and they were running with him, but they didn't have a clue. It's not about that. It's what what can you produce, what can you handle, can they trust you. And so I think if he handles the uh, the ability to um, handle change, um, I would say that uh, probably start out in a pass rush role. And then, uh, depending on maybe injuries or, or what they have for depth, I don't know where they're going to try to play him, but how quickly he handles the, uh, the nuances and techniques um, is going to determine how much he's going to play. But I would say in pass rush situations, he'll probably get some opportunities. We're talking with Northern Iowa defensive line coach Bryce Pop here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Bryce, greatly appreciate the time. Before we let you go, I noticed he blocked a field goal in 2019. We discussed at great length his length as a player. How much of an asset do you think he could be on special teams, especially when you think they'll probably lean on him a little bit in that role before he expands, to your point, himself as a pass rusher? Yeah, um, I, I think he could uh, be very effective. He's got the speed. Uh, he can jump, uh, you know, he can jump out of the gym. And, uh, you know, he's got the explosion. He's got the athleticism. He should be able to play, I would think, um, whether it's kickoff. He's got the speed to run down on kickoff. Uh, he's got the ability to turn and make a block on kickoff return um, and on punt coverage. I would say that uh, they should be able to get uh, – some good mileage out of him on special teams and that's that's really what you, where you cut your teeth where they can see can we trust you and uh are you going to bust your butt are you going to do what you're supposed to do um so yeah i would think that they should be able to get a lot of mileage out of him on special teams
He was the NFL Defensive Player of the Year in 1995, four-time Pro Bowler, now serves as the Northern Iowa defensive line coach, and he coached Giants fourth-round pick Ellerson Smith since 2018. Coach, can't thank you enough. We greatly appreciate the time and the insight. Thanks so much for weighing in on Ellerson Smith. Good luck with the upcoming season, and we look forward to talking down the road. Thanks appreciate again. Appreciate it, Bryce. All thank right. you. All right, great. Thank you. You got it. That is Bryce Pop with us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live, Giants.com. Some great insight on the Giants' fourth-round pick, and he talked about his transformation. He talked about the versatility and how he has come a long way as a player, but there's no doubt about it that Bryce Pop, Paul, from what he discussed, really is responsible for getting Ellerson Smith to this point. Because, I mean, he even mentioned the first time he saw him at practice and he asked him to, you know, run after the quarterback and go up against the offensive line, the fundamentals weren't there. So it truly is amazing that he worked himself into being a fourth-round pick considering where he started, which wasn't that long ago. You know, I think it's important to understand that Bryce Pop came from Northern Iowa. He's a graduate of that sure. school. He's a Hall of Famer there. Oh, he is. And, of course, had a wonderful NFL career. You mentioned the 11 seasons, had over 70 sacks. You know, the Pro Bowls, the Defensive Player of the Year. This is a guy who had to work his way up, you know, from a lower level of competition to become a star in the National Football League. And he wasn't just a flash in the pan now. As you said, four Pro Bowls for this guy. So he is as legit as they come. I can understand if he ran his own personal code red on Ellerson Smith to get this guy to try to come at least close to the potential that he had because it must have eaten away at Bryce thinking to himself, this guy has so much ability, he has so much talent, he it can be in my shoes. He can make that jump. He can be as successful as I was. But I'm going to have to dramatically throw a cold bucket of water in this guy's face, wake him up, snap him out of it, and get him to think like a workaholic who's going to buckle down and get the most out of his potential. And that's what it sounds like he did. And I think Ellerson Smith, years from now, when he's in the middle of a, of a nice NFL career, he's going to owe Bryce Pop one hell of a steak oh, yeah. dinner. Because Bryce Pop, it seemed, is the guy who pushed his buttons, flicked those switches, and gotten this guy on a serious track to trying to be a National Football League player. It's funny you mention that. I was listening to Ellerson Smith when he addressed the media locally following his pro day, and a question about Bryce Pop entered the conversation. His response was, Bryce Pop, and I'm paraphrasing, is single-handedly responsible mm -hmm. for teaching him every single facet of his position. That's what he said. That's what Ellerson Smith said. So without Bryce Pop, it's fortunate that he was a product of Northern Iowa because, you know, that's how sometimes coaching staffs could tap into some of their great alum because, you know, sometimes at these schools, no disrespect against Northern Iowa, Paul, but it's usually a stepping stone for most coaches, right? They want to go on to bigger and better things. The fact that he came back to help mold some of these young prospects, which is how our interview and our conversation started off. He said, I have a passion to help the young guys because he was talking about how when he was a young player, there were things that he wished he knew. And I'm sure part of that is the film study aspect anticipating what you're going to see from the opponent. He referenced the Hampton game in 2018 where Ellison Smith was caught in a situation. He had the wrong read. 
Then Bryce Pop called them out, and then they wanted to get his habits better. The other thing that I found interesting, Paul, was when we brought up the fact that he didn't opt out. They just unfortunately did not have a false right, season. Right. It seemed to me, my takeaway, and this is just my personal opinion, he would have loved to have had at least seven or eight more games oh, working no with him to you develop. Could, you could hear it in his voice. Yeah, you could absolutely. I think the, the one word that I'd like to throw on top of your ice cream sundae to kind of put a cherry on top of it, teacher. Bryce yeah. Pop is a teacher. Should it be any surprise that the Giants have gone to a guy who has basically been going to football class for the last couple of years and is now going to try to make the jump from an FBS school? I just think that it sounds to me like Bryce Pop has a lot of Joe Judge in him. I, I don't know if you picked that up too when we were listening to him, but it sounds like this is not going to be a culture shock when Ellison Smith comes to the New York Giants because a lot of the philosophies and the basic mindset that we see in Joe Judge was coming through loud and clear as we listened to Bryce Pop. Well, keep in mind, remember, Paul, you want to go through more Giants connections? Bryce Pop played with four teams. One of the teams, the Jacksonville Jaguars. Who did he play for in those two seasons? Tom Coughlin. Okay, mm -hmm. so that's all you need to know. Not only that, he played for Marv Levy in Buffalo, okay? He played for Mike Holmgren in Green Bay. You can't find me a better trio of coaches. Wade Phillips was his defensive coordinator in Buffalo. I mean, that man played for some of the finest, most accomplished coaches in NFL history, whether they're oh, coordinators the way, or headmen. And I didn't want to bring this up because this interview was not about Bryce Pop, but was as I went through my research to prepare for this conversation – I had seen where Bryce Pop was talking about how when he was a teammate of Bruce Smith with the Bills and Reggie White with the Packers, that he latched on to those guys and he learned from them and picked their brains even when he was already in the NFL to find out about some of the moves, some of the mindsets, and some of the tricks of the trade that they were able to pass along to him. And I guarantee you, that he was giving some of that stuff to his college student-athletes at Northern Iowa these days. And I'm sure that Ellison Smith has been the beneficiary of that as well. 973-667-1960 is the telephone number. We'll get to your phone calls momentarily. And thanks again to Bryce Pop for weighing in with some great insight on Giants fourth-round pick Ellerson Smith. A reminder, limited Giants season tickets are on sale now for the 2021 season. In addition to ticket savings, membership benefits include access to exclusive events, experiences, pre-sales, and more. You can lock in your seat. Starting at just $100, call 888-NYG-1925, or you could visit Giants.com slash tickets for more information. Also, don't miss out on your chance to experience a premier hospitality experience watching Giants games and world-class concerts in 2021 as a Giants suite partner. Limited full-season locations are available, or you can place a deposit for individual games. Call 888-NYG-1925, or you can visit Giants.com slash suites for more information. Let's open up the phone lines as we move along here on Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Ralph is in Florida joining us here. What's happening, Ralph? Hey, Lance. Hey, Paul. Long time no see. Uh, long time no talk. Um, just, I just want to talk about the draft. I think Dave Gettleman and the, the whole staff just knocked it out the park. I think every pick was basically a precise move. Like the Tony pick, to me, you got a bigger, stronger, not as fast, maybe not as accomplished, not about, maybe not a fine two route runner as Devontae Smith, 
But to me, he has all the intangibles of Devontae Smith. Just the speed, the way he gets open, the shiftiness, and the explosiveness to get to beat people down the field. And then I just feel like the Robinson pick in the third round, everybody's like making a big thing about it. We show an old line. That pick right there, to me, was huge. One, I think Philly wanted him bad. It looked like they really wanted him bad. And to steal him from Philly and to, to let them know, like, look, okay, you got Devontae Smith. Well, we, got, we just drafted somebody that's going to cover him. Because obviously they went up against each other in practice in Alabama when Robinson was there before he transferred to, um, to South Florida. And I'm just saying, I just think these picks are, are huge. I think the Allison Smith pick is going to be sneaky, good. I just think him and Olazari, the future's bright at the edges with, with X-Man and Lorenzo Carter. And I, I'm, I, I'm just optimistic. I'm just so happy that the Giants look like they, they are stepping in the right direction. Like, Len from Maryland and Scott from New Mexico, I really like listening to their, their, their insights sometimes when they talk to you guys. But it just seems to me, they just so, so negative about Gettleman since he traded OBJ. Like, let it go. Like, let it go already, man. Like, he's gone. And, and let's, let's be happy with what we got. Daniel Jones is about to step into year three. We're going to find out if we got our franchise quarterback or not. And if we got our franchise quarterback, that question gets answered early, then you know this team is trending nothing but up. And I'd just like to get you guys' take on it. Well, first of all, I don't think the Giants selected Aaron Robinson to keep him away from the Eagles and to send a statement to Philadelphia. I get the parallel you're trying to build there, but I don't think that was the move. I think they valued Aaron Robinson, and they think that he can add some more depth to the cornerback position and fits into what Patrick Graham wants to run, more so than anything about making a statement at the expense of the Philadelphia Eagles. I get it. Those narratives and stories are fun. You don't build a team worried about what your division rival is going to say or what your division rival is going to say going to do. So I don't think that was the main ammunition. As far as your overall point, yeah, I would agree with you. I, I do think this draft class overall gives them options at various positions, which is, remember, the position that the Giants set out to be in once they tackled free agency. And you yep. always want to be in that spot when you're a team. You never want to say to yourself, we missed out on A, B, C, and D in free agency, and the goal is we're going to make up for it in the draft because that's when you start reaching and you pick players at need. I think if you look at this draft, especially since, hey, most people wanted the Giants to draft an offensive lineman, right? And they right. internally feel very good about this offensive line group. But if you would have said, hey, the Giants should take an offensive lineman, and they took one just for the sake of taking them, and then all of a sudden the player doesn't pan out and they passed up on some other talent, that's when you get in trouble. So they took players at positions where you could argue may not be a huge need, but you know what? It at least gives them some competition, which is important because then you're not playing guys based on the numbers game. You're playing guys because they actually went out and they earned that spot. And I think that's what Joe Judge and Patrick Graham, as well as Jason Garrett, want to showcase this year. They don't want to hand jobs to guys simply because the lack of numbers. They want to hand them to guys because they actually battled each other out in training camp and deserve to start or play a prominent role. I totally agree, Lance. I didn't mean, you know, the parallel with Aaron Robinson and the Philly thing. It's just, yeah, I had to take that to Philly. I'm sorry. But, I mean, yeah, he's definitely, I think he, there was a, he was a neat, he was a want on both sides of the party I mean, for a judge and for Grant. And I just feel like every move that they make was calculated. Like you said, they just brought depth to almost every position. Offensive line already has depth. They, they just free agents in the offseason. They still got these young players that they invested last year's draft basically on. And to me, like like you said, there was no need. I mean, I mean, they feel they have the talent at offensive line. You know what? Now it's time to see if Joe Judge and Flaherty and the, the, the new offensive line coach can coach them up to where they want them to 
be. And like I said, if they're middle of the pack, then this team's off the, off to the races. I don't know if you guys agree with that. All right, Ralph. Well, we'll let you go on that note. We appreciate the phone call. In terms of what he said, Paul, on middle of the pack, I'm not necessarily sure if that's a reflection of in the NFC or within the division. I mean, I've said many times, I don't think there's a juggernaut in this division, so I don't think it's crazy to say that they can't be at least in the mix competing for the division title this year, assuming everybody stays healthy and the players specifically outside of the 2021 draft class continue to develop. That, to me, is just as important as who they're bringing in in this year's class. There's no question, Lance. This is a young, maturing, and improving team. The arrow is pointing up. I do believe this is the year that they break down that door and become a playoff team. Whether or not it's as a division champion, which I think it will be, but could it potentially be a wild card? Heck, you never know. And if you get in, does it really matter how you got in as long as you are a part of the dance? Uh, I am very optimistic about this particular roster. I don't think there's any doubt that, you know, you'd have to go back quite a number of years to feel this good about the talent that they have brought in. When Dave Gettleman and, and Joe Judge told us this past week on the media calls after the draft that this has been a productive off offseason, and they know the team has more going for it, and, and they're improved, and they feel pretty good about the haul. Uh, I, I don't think that's just you know coach speak or front office speak or wishful thinking. I think those things happen to be very, very true. The only question that has to be answered now is how much of an improvement has this team made, uh, and how healthy will this team be? Because I don't look. I, I don't want to pull any punches here. They need Saquon Barkley to be Saquon Barkley, okay? Let's not kid ourselves. Uh, they need Daniel Jones to continue to progress and play a full season. They don't need him to get hurt and knocked out of the lineup for a month. I mean, there, there are certainly some key positions, as, as there are with every NFL team, to where an injury could be potentially devastating. So I don't want to, you know, tell people that, oh, it's, hey, Lock, stock, and barrel. The Giants are as good as a Super Bowl contender, and 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 you know they can withstand anything. No, no, th this house is solid. It's built well, but that's not to say a tornado can't come and destroy it. I mean, you know there are there are things they've got to be cautious and wary of, but I do believe it's a playoff team. You don't win games simply by just throwing out a bunch of names out on the field. And you also don't go from 17.5 points per game on offense to 34, let's say, or 35 points simply by snapping your fingers and throwing in a few more wide receivers. The execution, that's what's going to determine how far this team could go. It's great. Things look promising on paper. Now let's see them take it to the next stage. I think the other encouraging aspect, if there are points of optimism, is and I've brought this up, we talked about this a lot all throughout the course of last season, even last offseason, Paul, is you also have Daniel Jones coming back with the same offense that he worked in the previous year, which was not something that he had the luxury of doing between year one and year two. And then remember, he was transitioning from the Duke offense to Pat Shermer's offense. So really it was a span of three years, even further back. Now it's you embrace Jason Garrett's offense, you didn't have all your weapons, now you're back with Jason Garrett's offense, and now you have, hopefully, your weapons fully healthy, and you've added a few more pieces. What does that fact alone, on its surface, do for Daniel Jones? I would say, on the peripheral, 
it certainly should make Daniel Jones feel a lot more comfortable, and it should make Jason Garrett feel a lot more comfortable because you're not implementing a scheme from scratch, okay? The foundation was built last year. Whether the results were promising or not, Paul, to me is a little irrelevant. It's the fact that the language was learned, the comfort level, what makes Daniel Jones tick, what makes Jason Garrett tick. You've established all of that. So now you want to build off of that based on the overall health and weapons around you. You hope the foundation means something. I think that's going to also determine the outlook of this offense. I think that's very fair. And, and let's also not forget, as we said 500 million trillion times, that you'd like to believe that after last year's virtual offseason, which of course threw everybody into a tizzy, the teams that adopted to that, or adapted, I should say, adapted to that better and are smoother the second time around with the virtual learning process because we all know that based on what the labor union had talked about, you don't expect to see a lot of your players in person during the offseason. That's always going to be another variable here that I don't think a lot of people are thinking about, Lance. Well, I think what's beneficial, and this goes even beyond the Giants, Paul, is Everyone who was in the NFL last year took part in some virtual means, even going into the regular season. When, remember, teams weren't practicing sometimes because of COVID scares or you just felt, hey, limited interaction off the field is better, so we're going to have all our meetings through Zoom. Everyone got a taste of it, the young guys to the veterans. So the good news is, yes, every roster has new players, but even the new players who are coming into your team they got a taste of that with their previous team. So I think that's at least positive. Everybody went through the layup lines if you want to build the basketball parallel, okay? Mm -hmm. So the basics, the foundation of Zoom meetings is in there. Now it's just a matter of getting comfortable with your teammates and learning the new scheme. So I do think that's beneficial, I would argue, for every NFL team. I don't think necessarily just the New York Giants, especially, though, if you already implemented your scheme that way last year, then I think you're that much more comfortable when you're adding newer concepts and players. So I do think that overall there should be a smoother transition across the board well, in the NFL. I think, Lance, the point that I was trying to make, I might not have been clear. You're right. Everybody should have a smoother deal with this thing the second time around, but there will be some teams that are smoother than others. There's going to be a variant, variant uh, type of degree as to how many teams really adapted to it and how many still have some rough spots to work out and just still don't seem to be very comfortable. And I, and I think that that variant is going to be part of the factors that need to be weighed as to how well these teams come prepared once training camp actually starts. Giants fans, you get a New York Giants checking account from Investors Bank with a Giants-branded debit card. Security features and discounts at the Giants online shop. You can earn up to $250 when you open an account at InvestorsBank.com slash Giants, member FDIC. Let's reopen up the phone lines here. Ramon is in Philly, and he joins us. What's happening, Ramon? Hey, guys. Uh, great interview. Loved it. Loved it. And if Ellison Smith... If, uh, if he listens to his coach, his college coach, man, we might have something special on our hand. Well, I'm, I'm hoping, at least, uh, because uh, with his uh, athleticism, his length, uh, the way he can jump, explosion, um, and uh, just his mentor, I mean, he could be a diamond in the rough. But what I wanted to call, the reason I wanted to call was, is uh, I'm in the minority in this, and 
but I like what the Giants did and not addressing the offensive line, specifically in the first three rounds. And th- the reason I say that is because, first, Duke Merriweather and Jeff Schwartz, they like, they mentioned they like the guys that we have on our line. Um, and, and basically said, Will Hernandez has been working with Duke um, this offseason. He dropped some weight, and he thinks he's going to have a bounce-back year. Also, when you guys did the calls with, uh, uh, with David Deal and uh, our center, I can't think of his name right now. Sean O'Hara uh, you're talking about. Sean O'Hara, yeah. So he, they basically said the same thing. Hey, no, we like our guys. They, I don't, they didn't say that, but they said if we were to take someone, you know, we were to take someone in third or fourth round, we wouldn't prioritize it. Um, so I, I have a lot of faith in, in our offensive line. Um, and I actually thought uh, pass rush was a bigger need, specifically um, in the fourth quarter. I, I think this year we're going to play with a, a larger lead, hopefully. And uh, we didn't have, like, a bunch of pass rushers who could really close out the game. So uh, picking Aziz, Odilary, and Ellison Smith, I think that's going to be huge. I- I'd rather have them coming off the, the edge uh, specifically in the fourth quarter and pass rush downs than Cam Brown and Carter Coughlin and Ryan Anderson. Um, they'll, they'll probably put Effetti, Effetti in, in the, I guess, a deep, uh, the five tech in those situations. But I like that a lot better than having those guys rush. So I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. And one last question before I let you go. Um, any insight on Kyle Murphy? I, I saw some highlights on him. He was like, uh, uh, he was like a cook at IHOP, just handing out pancakes all over. So, uh, <laughs> just wanted to see if if you had any insight on him because he, I mean, this was against lower level competition, but he looked great to me. Thanks, Lance, guys. did you notice the food reference? Yes, I did notice the food reference. It wasn't Italian food, though. It was just American food. Comfort food was his parallel there. And appreciate the phone call, Ramon. So you're going to have to teach him a thing or two about bringing in the pasta references. There you go. With respect to the analogies. You Kyle know, Murphy. That, go, go, go ahead, ahead Paul. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, I was just going to say with respect to Kyle Murphy, and then you could expand more on the pass rushing situation. It's almost to me like when we had callers call up and ask about Nick Gates a few years ago. And my response would be the same. Yeah, he spent some time on the practice squad, sort of a red shirt type of a year. But until you see a player like that, in a very competitive practice, in a preseason game, or most important, a regular season game, it's really hard to get a good grasp of what you have in somebody like that. And remember, there were opportunities, you could argue, especially when you had the whole COVID situation and some guys were banged up for them to maybe lean on him, and the Giants chose to go with some of those other options. So I get it. You look at the measurements, and everybody's exciting, but I don't think anybody can give you an accurate assessment at this stage in saying the Giants even know exactly what they have in a guy by the name of Kyle Murphy. No, I think the bottom line is the coaches know in their own heads what they think about him and what his potential is. I do think, Lance, of the practice squad guys, and we've identified that there are different styles and types and categories of practice squad guys. I do believe that Murphy is one of their projects, who may have something to offer. I don't think he's a placeholder. I don't think he's a scout player. 
I think he is actually a project, which gives him a chance to potentially earn something during training camp this year. And as far as uh, the gentleman's other comment about the defensive pass rush, look, the Giants have so many bodies now. And, you know, we keep talking about the edge rushers they've collected, and somehow we, we keep forgetting about Ryan Anderson, you know, a veteran who's got the Alabama ties, who came over from Washington. I'm as guilty as John and you and Jeff. We never mention him when we talk about uh, those guys in the front seven, but they signed him for a reason, too. The, the competition in the front seven is going to be hot and heavy. And I think the guys who kind of emerge from the smoke are going to have really earned those spots during the course of training camp, and that can only make the Giants better. However Patrick Graham wants to line them up, hey, more power to him. He could do whatever he wants lining those guys up. The important thing that the Giants need to identify is which guys deserve to stay. That's right, because everybody can't make the 53-man roster, and then we don't know what the practice squad is going to look like, so you have to weigh the pros and cons of you put a guy through waivers, can you actually get him back on the practice squad, or will he be claimed? And to me, it's very similar to the secondary. Now, in the secondary, you could argue you have a few more proven commodities. Guys that have been in the NFL have performed at a consistent level. So that's the difference, but it's not different in terms of the volume where, as you hit on, Paul, Patrick Graham may say to himself, some games, I like Ryan Anderson against this offensive front. Other games, I like Odenabo. O'Shane Zimenez, I think, is a good matchup here. Lorenzo Carter, it wouldn't surprise me once again if he mixes and matches. Something about Patrick Graham doesn't tell me that he's going to get his seven guys in the front and just say, this is my seven and we're not going to experiment. That This is the look that you could expect out of the Giants' defense game in and game out. He's just not that type of coordinator. New England was never built like that. So that's why he wants, I think, multiple players to toy with as opposed to just settling for one or two, three guys that he can rely on game in mm -hmm. and game out. I don't think there's any doubt about that. The luxury of being able to mix and match on a weekly basis is something that he relishes. Let's head back to the phone lines. David is in North Carolina. What's happening, David? Um, I was I was thinking about with with the weapons we've added and um, all the talk about the offensive line. I wanted to kind of get your guys' take on this. Um, I know John mentioned several times throughout the season that I know Jason Garrett gets gets beat up a lot for the way the offense. Uh, played or um, the, the style of the offense, but I, I tend to agree with John that I think he was trying to play um, to the strengths of the, of the team, knowing that maybe we didn't have a lot of uh, weapons on the outside, trying to play a more conservative offense, play off the defense. Um, I, you know, I could be wrong. I know there, there, there was a lot of complaints about not taking enough deep shots downfield, but uh, with the weapons we've acquired uh, in the offseason and in the draft, and granted, Again, if, if Barkley is healthy, uh, Sterling Shepard, you know, is healthy and can kind of hopefully put the concussions uh, behind him. Um, I just really think you would take a lot of pressure off this offensive line, and I know Garrett ran it uh, in Dallas with uh, Dak some, even though they still relied heavily on uh, on Zeke, um, of really opening this thing up and, and playing out of the spread more. I, I think you see NFL coaches now where before – a lot of young quarterbacks would come in and they would have to kind of fit the NFL style of play or scheme. 
And I think you're seeing more young quarterbacks succeed now because coaches like Joe Judge are saying, you know, no, let's let's play to these guys' strengths. And I know Paul's not going to like seeing Daniel Jones run more, but I'd really like to see him keep it um, <laughs> eight, 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 eight times a game, you know, maybe six to eight times a game to really keep that defense honest. And, and I just feel like Barkley played so well out of a spread at, at Penn State. And, um, you know, you add a guy – like Tony to the mix, um, it just seems like it would it would be an opportunity to maybe take some pressure off the offense with some quick strike ability, um, you know, playing that spread. And I uh, just kind of wanted to get your guys' take on that, that, that more kind of uh, read option spread offense that, that Daniel played a little bit in Duke and Barkley was so familiar with at Penn State. Well, given Daniel Jones' injury history, I don't know how much more you really want to expose him to hits. I'm all for throwing in plays here or there to keep the defense on its toes to have him run. But remember, it was the hits that he took this past year that also missed him to that forced him to miss games. And the other thing, when you analyze Jason Garrett's offense this season, in a game, for example, when Colt McCoy started and they played the Seahawks and they ran the ball very effectively in that game and he utilized three tight ends, you know, that's the sign of a good offensive coordinator adjusting to the players that he's working with and knowing the caliber of the defense you're going up against. So I think when you look at the Giants' offense as a whole, I don't think conservative is a fair way to label what he was doing. I think he was adapting to how the personnel fluctuated because he didn't have everybody at his disposal, and he also lost Saquon Barkley and Sterling Shepard relatively early in the season. So if anything, I think Garrett deserves some credit for making some necessary tweaks and trying to find ways to win games, even if it wasn't necessarily pretty at times. More to the point, when Joe Judge was hired by the Giants, one of the first things he said at his press conference when he was asked about his staff is, I want to look each one of those guys in the eye, and I'm going to ask them about their rooms and their players. And I don't want to know what they can't do. I want to know what they can do and how we're going to get the best out of them. Yeah, I, I agree with all that, and I, and I think you're right, Lance. Um, I think he should uh, take some credit for making the necessary changes. I, and, I, and I don't want to expose DJ to more hits, but, I mean, you can't – I don't know. You, you can't uh, put these guys in bubble wrap and expect them to never get sure. hurt. Sure, yeah, and, and I'm completely with you there. Yeah. And I know it does expose him, but – I mean, the odds are that we get a, a guy right after Eli Manning that's going to play another 10 to 12 years and, and be perfectly healthy and be an Ironman is slim to none. And, and maybe <laughs> you you put that at more of a risk by exposing to that. But, I mean, that's it. That's his athletic ability, and I know he doesn't lean towards that. I know he likes to stay in the pocket, and I like that about him. But, um, yeah, it would just be interesting to see if, if Garrett would, would – put those changes into the offense, or if we see, you know, more of a pound and ground style approach. I mean, I, I know there's going to be changes due to the personnel of Galladay and guys like Tony, but, uh, but you know, just, just a thought, just a thought where I, I thought that, you know, I'm thinking maybe the read option would, would uh, make some things easier for DJ. Um, and we, we know Barkley has had a lot of success out of it at Penn state. And, um, you know, with a guy like Galladay, you can do a lot of pitch and catch back shoulder stuff, get the ball out quick. Uh, See, back shoulder stuff, I'm with you now. Now you're singing my song, the back shoulder throw, one of my favorite plays in the playbook that has disappeared from the Giants offense now for many, many years. So I'm with you on that one. But this RPO stuff, man, you you just want to give me heavy agita, don't you? (laughs) Uh, 
Uh, well, I'll, uh, I'll take it off there, guys. Just wanted to throw that out there, kind of get y'all's take, and I appreciate the uh, the show and everything you guys did for the draft. All right, David. Well, appreciate you tuning in. Thanks so much. Daniel Actually, Jones. I, I should clarify. It's not so much the RPO stuff. It's the read option that I am absolutely uh, allergic to. Let's put it that way. But but the RPO stuff, that's a little different. That's not the same thing as read option. Let's make that clear. 100%. That's more of analyzing what the defense presents mm-hmm. and then adjusting to that as opposed mm-hmm. to a designed run of some sort. And listen, people are going to look at the two Philadelphia games, and Daniel Jones did have success as a runner in that game. Unfortunately, he tripped over himself on the turf in the first one. The second one, he finished the job and he got into the end zone. So, hey, if you could get a big explosive play like that out of your quarterback— There's nothing wrong with that, and I think Garrett shows the moments in the season for that. But when you throw that in, and then you take into consideration the hits Daniel Jones also took within the pocket, which has nothing to do with him as a runner, Paul. It's just, unfortunately, sometimes you have breakdowns or the quarterback holds onto the ball a little too long. You have to be at least aware of, over the course of a season, for example, he ran the ball 65 times in 2020. And he missed two games. And then you take into consideration he was sacked 45 times in 2020. So what I'm getting at, Paul, is 65 runs. Every time you run, you're going to get hit. It's not as if you're running into open space and then you're just going to slide down. There's going to be some hits of those 65 runs. The 45 sacks, there's hits on every one of them. I think you just need to, in the back of your mind, you need to be aware of, yeah, we have no concern over a quarterback taking a hit. It's a physical sport. But what could we do to at least alleviate the amount of hits that he's going to take over the course of a season so that we maximize the amount of games he'll actually suit up for. Can Look. I ask you guys a question that I posed to Fields yesterday before we say goodbye? Sure. So we had a couple fans call up yesterday asking about whether or not, you know, Jason Garrett's going to open up the offense. And that was the phrasing they used, open up the offense, right? <laughs> and we tried to define what that meant. And I kind of came back to this where nothing happens, and I think we learned this in the first year, right? Nothing happens with the way those coaches, from the OC to the DC to the quality control guy, nothing is coached a specific way without the approval of the head coach. So this offense is going to run the way you know, the head coach wants it to run from a thematic perspective. Now, the play calling is something else, but based on the general approach, that's going to come down to Joe Judge. And I never got the sense, guys, that Joe Judge is a coach that is going to coach like Andy Reid does, where it's designed for the quarterback to throw the ball around 40 times per game. That's just my feel from hearing Judge talk. You know, he always talks about having a tough team, and he defines toughness by teams that can run the ball, stop the run, and cover kicks, right? I just don't sense that's going to come down from up above from Joe Judge to Jason Garrett to design this offense where you're going to chuck it around 40 to 45 times a game by design. Spare, of course, a matchup that might be favorable week to week, whatever. Where I think he is going to want to you know, run the ball and work off of that. That's my feel for how Joe Judge in his ideal world wants his offense to look. Do you guys agree with that? Or do you think we could see more game plans where it's going to kind of get thrown over the yard a little bit? Well, I would agree with you. Plus, I also don't think you need to go that far from just Jason Garrett's history, too. Remember, he came from a Dallas team where they also emphasized the run game as well. I mean, when you look at the amount of times they ran the ball on first down with Ezekiel Elliott, I mean, it was almost a guarantee. So I don't think now that he has Saquon Barkley, he's going to say, well, we're going from Zeke to Saquon Barkley. We can't run the ball. 
He absolutely wants to run the ball. I think both the head coach and the OC are on the same page from that standpoint. And here's the other reason why I think you got to be cautious, Paul, of the ideology of this opening up the offense, which sometimes I chuckle because that can be interpreted in so many different ways. Mm -hmm. You have a quarterback also. Okay, there was improvement, but you have a quarterback that has had issues with turnovers and protecting the football. And what do we say about any quarterback in the NFL? I don't care whether it's Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees, two who have done really good with their interception touchdown ratio or some of the younger guys. The more times you put the ball in the air, you become more predictable. You give the defense a better read. You put the ball in the air, and in all likelihood, it's going to be picked off or some trouble is going to come your way. Why would you want to expose your quarterback to that regardless of the weaponry around him? And he already has some injury history. Sure. Yeah. Add that to it. Okay. Look, here's the bottom line. When somebody says to me, I think the guys are going to open up the offense, that could mean one of two things. Either A, they will throw the ball a whole lot more and increase their aerial percentage, or it means they will just be a little bit more funky and creative with the times that they do throw the ball. I don't think, now what, what did Jones throw the ball uh, something like 32, 33 times a game last year on the average? I think that's what it comes down yeah, to, and I'm not talking about because sacks also... Uh, turnout, you know, to that if you add the sacks in there uh, and the dropbacks, and then how many times he ran and it went down as a run, I understand that. He what did he drop back? Probably like 36, 37 times a game last year. Well, I just did the math, Paul. I'm just looking at the pass attempts by the games. It came it's out low exactly 30s, right? 32, 32. It was exactly 32. On, on All right, yeah. I seem to remember that from the end of the season. That's why I threw that number out there. But if you actually count the number of dropbacks, it's probably something like 36 a game. Okay. I don't think the Giants want to make that number go any higher. I just don't. Do I think that they would like to see Garrett get more creative within the scope and the parameters of those numbers? Yes, I do. Because of the weaponry that they have imported, I think they would like to see some more yak yardage. I think they'd like to see the ball get to guys in better open spaces. And if it means some funky formations, if it means some trick plays, if it means getting the ball to guys in spots where they're not usually accustomed to getting it, I think that is all part of, quote, opening up the offense. But to suggest that Daniel Jones will have 40 dropbacks a game, no, 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 no. Okay, so so I think we're on the same page then, right? I think so. Absolutely. I don't think there's a disagreement from that standpoint. Just to give you some perspective, because I was looking up what Dak Prescott did in his final year with Garrett, he averaged 37 attempts per game. But remember, Dak had more experience and did not miss games due to injury. So the confidence level is a little bit different, different offensive personnel in terms of the wide receivers. And also, as John just alluded to, game flow. You have to take it to consideration. Because if you're a team that's playing ahead a lot, then it's easy to not necessarily put your quarterback in that position. If you're trailing, then whether or not, Paul, you want to keep the pass attempts down or the drop back, sometimes the game flow doesn't allow you that luxury, and you're going to have to have your quarterback throw more. So how those things play out will also determine what Jason Garrett's going to do on offense. And remember, the Giants were on the verge of being the the borderline of being a top-10 defense last year, and we believe they've gotten better, okay? They're not going to allow 20 points a game defensively which means they should be in either more close games or be in the lead because their defense is doing the job and not letting teams get out ahead of them. 
All right. Well, that is going to do it for us here on Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Thanks again to Northern Iowa defensive line coach, former NFL Defensive Player of the Year, Bryce Pop, for weighing in on Ellerson Smith. We'll be back up and running at noon Eastern tomorrow. We will have two more special guest coaches who will weigh on weigh in on two different prospects, so stay tuned for that. A reminder that Big Blue Kickoff Live is part of the podcast network here for the Giants. It's brought to you by Investors Bank on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. For Paul Dettino, I'm Lance Meadow. Stay locked to Giants.com for all the latest, and we'll speak to you on Wednesday for the newest edition. Have a good one.